Welcome to Forging Plowshares. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are challenged by it. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. All right, this morning we're looking at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and I've entitled this Freedom of Conscience. And the question here is, what sort of life of the mind are we supposed to have as Christians? What is prescribed for us? We're told that the pattern of our thoughts, uh, the focus of our attention, is that prescribed for us? What our thoughts should or should not consist of? I think that in this passage, Paul is giving us a key insight as to at least one element a key element that as Christians is to be absent in our thought, in the life of our mind, that is present there for most people. Paul depicts, you know, throughout uh, the New Testament, throughout his writing, several possibilities. I would say there's about four primary ways of being human, or four ways for ordering human subjectivity. And I'll talk about those as we go through here. But here in 1 Corinthians 4, and I'm about to to read then uh, from chapter 4, verse 3, we're told uh, of the possibility of a completely uncritical, non-judgmental conscience. And of course, this stands in sharp contrast to someplace like Romans 7, 7, in which Paul describes the I which is presumably he's talking about himself, at at least in part, that the I is consumed in a kind of internal struggle. He says, I do what I do not want to do, and what I want to do, I don't do. So there's two, right? The the struggle within, an agonistic struggle. But Paul also tells us that as a zealous Jew, his conscience was clear. He describes himself as blameless before the law. So there is his sense of being blameless, and and I'll come to this, we'll read a few of these passages, but of course he was mistaken about his blamelessness. His conscience was clear, and the clearer his conscience was, the more evil he was becoming in his persecution of Christians in particular. And so there's the agonistic struggle of Romans 7, and now here there is this liberation from examination and judgment. And so I think this is a particularly key passage in understanding the life of the mind, our freedom of conscience. So let's read from verse 3. But to me it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself, for I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. And so in these verses Paul is liberated from a troubled conscience. He's not concerned, of course, with the judgments of the Corinthians, and they want to judge him. He says, I'm not concerned with your judgments. I'm not even concerned with my own judgment. 
He says, I do not even examine myself. And so the question is, are we to have continually introspective consciences in which we're continually torn, continually struggling not to sin, maybe tortured with our failure? To state it in another way, are we to be religious neurotics who are defined by our neuroticism? And literally, I think our mental asylums are filled with the very religious. And I'm afraid their religion is making them sick. And Paul is describing then an understanding that's very different from that kind of neurotic sort of religion. I think that's what he's describing in Romans 7. 7 is uh, the struggle, the tortured conscience That's not the goal, even though many Christians read Romans 7, 7 as if that's the normal Christian life. In fact, the the Romans' sort of conflicted conscience, it's very common. I'm going to read a couple of passages here from pagan philosophers that sound very similar to Romans 7. Some think that even here in Corinthians, Corinth, you know, he's just left Athens, that the Greece and Greek philosophy is, they're steeped in, in a Greek philosophical understanding, and that Paul may be combating a Stoic kind of philosophical understanding. One of the Greek philosophers says about himself, Who, when he lays eyes upon me, does not feel that he is seeing his king and master? That is, I'm such a wise man. And in this passage in Corinthians, in chapter 4, he says, Have you become kings already? Some think he's referring to this passage. On the other hand, Seneca, the Roman Stoic philosopher, Describes one who is continually examining his conscience. He describes, he says, it was the custom of Sextius when the day was over and he had betaken himself to rest to inquire of his spirit. That is, he's going to bed every evening and he's going to do a self-examination. What bad habit of yours have you cured today? What vice have you checked In what respect are you better? He says, I make use of this privilege and daily plead my cause before myself. That is, I'm the judge and I'm the defendant. When the lamp is taken out of my sight and my wife, who knows my habit, has ceased to talk, I pass the whole day in review before myself and repeat all that I have said and done. I conceal nothing from myself and omit nothing, for why should I be afraid of any of my shortcomings when it is in my power to say, I pardon you this time. See that you never do that anymore. We might admire this sort of self-examination, but of course what it does not take into account is the deceitfulness of the human heart and of human fallenness. Are we able? You know, part of the reason Paul does not judge himself, he says, I'm not capable of that. Paul specifically says he does not put himself under, and the word here, under examination, 
it is the same word that's there in Seneca. Anachrono. The word means to investigate. To do a kind of judicial investigation prior to the hearing proper. It refers to an interrogation, maybe, of the accused. And I believe there's an understanding of Christianity that pictures life as a continual investigation, continual struggle, continual attempt to overcome. Not just with the world, you know, overcoming the world, but overcoming the world within us. And so I think Paul is saying an odd thing here, a thing that we may not be used to hearing. He's saying, actually, we're not engaged in that struggle any longer. We do not presume to do what Seneca describes. We do not assume either to proclaim ourselves kings. And specifically, Paul's understanding is not that of the Reformation. You know, this is Luther and Calvin that talked about the just one who's justified and a sinner at the same time. In Paul's understanding, Christians are not reckoned righteous apart from being actually made right, being brought into a right relationship. I believe part of this right relationship is relinquishing this critical judging understanding of others and ourselves. We're not even to judge ourselves. He set aside this sort of judgment. He suspended it is the way that he talks about the law and, and the way that he talks about this kind of anacrino investigation. Let a man, he says in one, regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So in describing this liberated conscience through service to Christ, the liberation comes through being a steward, a servant, the word is actually for a slave, who is put in charge of an estate. The, the point here is not that the person is completely, it's not like a, a, a childlike innocence. The person has great responsibility. Maybe it's like the burden that Jesus spoke of. You know, we're to take up the cross, but we're to lay down a heavy burden and to take up a lighter burden. The heavy burden, I think, is part of that heavy burden is our tendency to be judges to be critics. And this lighter burden is is very liberating. Jesus says, come to me, you who are weary, heavy laden. I think we're heavy laden. We're, We're worn down with the burden of imagining that we're judges. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your soul. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I think Paul is explaining this rest for the soul. That we can lay this burden of being a judge, of bearing the law, of being an agonistic struggle all the time. We can lay that down. Now, so as I said, it's not a point of no responsibility. It's not of complete innocence, but it's being properly employed with a meaningful task. That we have a liberated conscience when we're aware that we've escaped 
the dis-ease, the disease of the soul. We've laid down a heavy burden and we're sharing that process. I think that the burden is too heavy. We're not capable of judging. This burden will crush you. And of course that's what's happening in Corinth. These people are presuming to be judges and they're in conflict with one another. They're in conflict with themselves. And Paul is saying the solution is a different order of responsibility. Be a faithful steward put in charge of an estate. Let a man regard us in this matter, he says in 1 to 2, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And he says, in this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. So Paul is saying to the Corinthians that they are not the ones to give him a job performance rating. Right? Back off, he's saying. But not just back off from judging me, but back off from judging each other. Back off from judging yourselves. None of us is in such a position. We're all fellow servants. And so the Corinthians seem to have entered into a kind of perverse form of the faith in which Paul says, Oh, you think you're wise, you're prudent, you're strong. In other words, you're arrogant in your critique of others, including Paul, including Paul's co-workers. And Paul describes his position as, and that of his co-laborers as the opposite. Look at verses 10 to 13. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished. But we are without honor. To this present hour we are both hungry and thirsty and are poorly clothed. And are roughly treated and are homeless. And we toil working with our hands. And when we are reviled we bless. When we are persecuted we endure. When we are slandered we try to conciliate. We have become the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. The Corinthians, on the other hand, are beyond suffering for others. They would just simply pass judgment. They've returned to this kind of judgmental attitude that Paul connects with, I think, his own former way of life. He describes himself as excelling in Judaism. He's a Pharisee, a legalist, becoming more and more blameless in his own sight. Isn't that the problem of the Corinthians? Their conscience are clear. Look at Philippians 3, 4-6. Paul says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. All good, right? He's really a good Jew. He's really keeping the law. But then look at the next phrase. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to the righteousness which, it, which is in the law found blameless. You see what he's saying? I'm blameless in regard to the law. I'm the chief of sinners. 
Both are true. He says a very similar thing in Galatians 1.13. You have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism. Two things there go together. He's advancing as a Jew. He's destroying the church. He's becoming better and better in his own sight, in the sight of his fellow Jews. He's becoming more and more evil. Being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions, he says. I became then the chief of sinners. So the judgmental individual fuses sin and law and effectively enacts the law by becoming the judge. I'm going to be the keeper of the law, the enactor of the law. Now you might do this as Paul did it by persecuting and hurting others with a clear conscience. You might use your Christianity to hurt other people with a clear conscience. That is, there is a religion that will make you more evil. And Paul is warning the Corinthians of this sort of religion. Or one might persecute and punish the self. I think that's what he's describing in Romans 7. This self-punishing body of death. Now, maybe we do both things at once. We persecute others, and maybe subconsciously we condemn ourselves. But what Paul is saying in Corinthians, this if you're doing this thing, if you're a judge, you cannot love. It's an obstacle to love. The conscience of the Corinthians is caught up in judging, arrogance. This arrogance is precisely the opposite of love. And he's going to say this. He's going to use the term arrogant or puffed up some four times in the book. And he's going to always say, now if you're arrogant, you cannot love others. Whether the law is turned inward on ourselves, turned outward, it cannot be combined with love because of sin. This is sin. So can a Christian miss being liberated from judgment? Yes, you can miss laying your burden down. And the sure sign this is the case is arrogant judgment. In regard to judging others, Paul says in Romans, very similar message, who are you to judge the servant of another? This was in regard to the same problem of eating meat, sacrificed idols. To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. We all stand before God. We all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul will use the term. He says, you're puffed up. You're arrogant. And that's why you can't have harmony and love. In chapter 13, concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he is not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. There's nothing better than being known by God. The way you're known by God is that you love and you're loved by him and you realize this. 
And then Paul goes on and says, love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Right? If you're arrogant, you do not have love. If you love, you cannot be arrogant. Paul describes in Romans this sort of judgmental attitude is bound to produce suffering. But Paul is encouraging the Romans, encouraging the Corinthians to suffer together with the lowly. I think God has exhibited all us apostles, he said, last of all, in 1 Corinthians 4 9, as men condemned to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We're suffering, but there is a different sort of suffering, I think, that is, and Paul is going to say, imitate me. We're to take up this suffering. But also we ourselves, he says in Romans 8, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. He says, for you, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. Here is love laying down your life for the brethren. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. And then he goes, you know the rest of the passage. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The worst thing that you can do is to be arrogant. Because this arrogance, in fact, seems to be an obstacle. Think of the joyful suffering of the first you know, Christians. They flogged them and ordered them in Acts 5 not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. And so they went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Paul describes this in some detail in 2 Corinthians. I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers. Paul is suffering on behalf of the church. But there is a suffering that you can do under the weight of the law that is ultimately insufferable. That is, that in some way you cannot bear this up. Paul, in both Romans and here in Second Corinthians, he's saying, yes, we can suffer these things, but this suffering is a joyous suffering. It's a suffering that in, is inclusive of freedom from that other kind of condemnation, suffering. But to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. They want to put Paul on trial, metaphorically. He says, I don't even examine myself, for I am conscious of nothing against myself. He says, I'm not saying I'm acquitted, but God is my judge. So Paul is describing a conscience that has been freed from judgment. He leaves judgment to God. And this freedom frees him up to love rightly. 
to sacrifice as it has he got. He says to the to in verse seven eight, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast? As if you had not received it. You are already filled. You have already become rich. You have become kings without us. So he says, do not go on passing judgment before the time. Verse 5. I don't judge anyone, not even myself. Judgment is suspended. The law is suspended. And with it, arrogance, criticism, factions, rivalries, and divisions are undone. So have you become kings, arrogant kings, rulers, judges, or have you become stewards and servants? And believe me, the being the steward and the servant is the easy way to go. There is the light burden in which you can lay down the heavy burden. Yes, hungry and thirsty and poorly clothed and roughly treated, homeless, working with our hands, reviled, persecuted, slandered, we try to conciliate. I exhort you, Paul says, be imitators of me. Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have been moved by this podcast, please remember to share on social media. If you would like to know more about Forging Plowshares, would like to contact us with questions, want to ask about how you can get involved, or for more information about how you can support this ministry, please go to our website at forgingplowshares.org.